Uh, we're going to send that offering around, send those offering buckets around as we get started this morning. Don't usually take two offerings that close together, but just felt like we should. Thank you for being here on Time Change Day. Spring forward. Man, I was telling the worship team, told a couple people, uh, this is one of the trickiest days to do church often because everyone's a little bit sleepy. So you got some good coffee, it seems like, already. Um, so we're really glad to have you with us today. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, I would love to shake your hand after service. We have a little coffee mug, a big coffee mug, actually. We'd love to give you because we're about big coffee mugs here. We believe you're here for a reason. It meant what I prayed before that uh, God has an appointment with all of us, and he's hoping to keep it today and speak to you. Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about Ephesians chapter 2. We've been talking our way through the book of Ephesians. We finished chapter 1 last week. We spent, I think, three weeks on chapter 1. We're going to touch on a few of those concepts uh, that are in chapter 1 uh, today. Uh, but last week, one of the things we talked about was thankfulness. Right? We talked about how Paul was not thankful because of his circumstances. His circumstances were actually pretty rough when he was writing this. It was a prison epistle. But he was thankful in spite of his circumstances. We talked about how thankfulness has everything to do with the condition of our hearts and very little to do with what we have. That's something we talked about last week. We talked last week about how prayer is something we should be in the habit of always doing. Yes, there's times when you set yourself apart. Jesus did that. But uh, Paul said he prayed continually. He was always praying and uh, giving thanks for the Ephesian people. He prayed for them for wisdom, for revelation from God. We talked about how wisdom is different from knowledge. I told a really good dog story. You have to go listen to the podcast if you want to hear the story about our dog. Finally, we talked about how there is power available to us. And why is there power available to us? Because of the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Because he's been raised from the dead, our hearts can also be raised from the dead. There's hope and there's life. That brings us this week to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 is a pretty famous chapter in the New Testament. As we go through this, you're probably going to recognize some verses that you hear all the time, like on bookmarks or, or whatever, posters. If not this week, then probably for sure next. This week, we're talking about how we as Christians, you see it on the screen there, we are made alive. Now, we need to start with this big, zoomed-out concept. And that is that everything, everything you see around, everything in the world, everything is made to do something. Even inanimate objects that cannot move for any reason, especially not by themselves, with no moving parts. They were made to do something. Those chairs that you are sitting in right now, those chairs were made to do something. They were made to sit there so you could sit in them. Right? They're made for a purpose. This table right here, this table was made so you could set stuff on it. So some guy could set his computer and his Bible and his water on there. Right? These shoes right here, these pointy brown shoes, these are made for someone, some small guy who wears size eight and a half to wear them until the toes fall out of them. That's what I do with my shoes. That's what shoes are made for. These kinds of things exist and we use them as we see fit, right? Everything is made for a purpose. There isn't much more to it than that when it comes to the table or the chairs or the shoes. Now there's some things that are a little more complicated when I was a kid, I had certain kind of toys that I was pretty fascinated by. Anything that had like buttons or moved or whatever. In fact, famously, when I was in fifth grade, I talked to my, we had a, a Commodore computer that was broken. This was probably what, shoot, it would have been 
you know, mid 80s. Um, it was Commodore 64 and it was broken. And I convinced my teacher that I could fix it. I had literally no idea. So I just basically tore the thing apart. She was like, give me time in class, and I just tore it apart and completely destroyed it. <laughs> Did not put it back together. I'm better at putting things back together now. But when I was a kid, I had certain kind of toys I was pretty fascinated by. I loved remote control cars. And we like remote control cars? Pretty great, right? As most of you know, we've got two boys, and we've got some version of every boy toy in the universe, probably, right? We got, we got all kinds of balls. We got Nerf guns. We got more Nerf guns. We got bags of Nerf bullets and more Nerf guns. They love their Nerf guns. But they've got remote control cars. I brought one with me today, actually, to, it's kind of an illustration. Hey, you don't want to play with toys in church? Come on, this is the way to go, way to go here. So I brought this one with me, okay? I've got one here. This one is called, I don't know uh, uh, if you can see it, but this one is called the Turbo Tumbler. All right? It says Turbo Tumbler on the side. So by that name, what would you think the Turbo Tumbler is made to do? It's made to go fast, and it is made to tumble, right? It's, it's got a name. It's got these big wheels. Probably go fast, tumble around. If my boys were in here, they'd be so jealous that I have their car in church. Probably can come get it afterwards. They don't know I brought it. So here's the thing, I've got this car, and I set it down, <clears throat> and, I, and I push the controls here, but um, nothing's happening, right? The car is not being turbo, and it is not tumbling. There's something wrong with it. it it's dead, right? So, uh, you know, I've got the, uh, you can see the controller, it's even got a light on it. See the red light there? So, so something's wrong with it, and the problem is the thing is not alive because... Because I've got the batteries in my hand, right? So for this thing to fulfill its purpose, for it to live, so to speak, it's got to have its batteries, all right? Let me see if I can put them in the right way. I use this specific one for a reason because now you can see the eyes glowing on the front, right? Now you can see that the car is no longer dead. It is alive. And if we set it here, it twirls around. I can drive it off the edge of the thing like that, like it's supposed to. It can tumble. It's all right, Mike. You can just leave it right there. <laughs> the turbo tumbler, in order for it to fulfill its purpose, it has to be made alive. What did we just do when we, I put four AA batteries in that thing? I made it alive. You see, the remote control car can't do what it's made to do until it has what it needs to be alive. It was dead before. Now it's two little eyes are on. That's what this passage that we are reading today is moving us towards. That though we may be living and breathing and walking on this earth, we do not become what we were made to be and what God chose us to be. Remember, beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, we talked about how God has chosen all of us. We don't become what we were made to be until we are made alive by the wonderful grace of God. And it's something more powerful, more wonderful than four AA batteries, believe it or not. I want you to know, and I believe that God wants you to know, that if you walked into this place and you're feeling like you were dead inside, that God's desire for you is that you're made alive in him today. He has a purpose for you. He has an appointment with you today. So let's jump in and read these verses, Ephesians 2, uh, 1 through 7. And then we're going to break it down in two sections. I'm reading in the NIV today. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. Let's read together. 
says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, he was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to stop right there because verses 8, 9, and 10 contain a lot, and we'll tackle those next week. But we just read that scripture, and there is two very important things that we've got to understand. First one is this. It's very simple, that without Christ, we were dead. We were a turbo tumbler with no batteries. Until we have Christ in our lives, we can't be what we're made to be. Now, Paul, the author of Ephesians, he begins here by painting a picture of the condition of our hearts before we knew Christ. Or if you're here today and maybe you walked in and you don't know if you know God or not. Maybe it's the condition of your heart right now. In these first few verses, Paul does something really important. And he keeps with this theme that uh, we talked about throughout the first few weeks in Ephesians. He says that uh, one of the themes of this gospel is that the good news, the gospel means good news, the good news is for everyone. In Paul's world, that meant both the Jews and the Gentiles. That was what he was talking about. In verse 1 here, it says, uh, you were dead. And in doing so, when he's saying you were dead, he's referring to the Gentiles. He's writing it to some Gentiles, people of non-Jewish descent. We just read it. In verse 3, he also says, all of us lived among them at one time. So he talks about the Gentiles by saying you were dead. Then he says all of us, talking about himself and the other Jewish people. Paul is a good Jewish, good Jewish guy. Remember, though, this would have been a mind-blowing concept to the Gentiles, or to the Jews, that the Gentiles could, could know and love God in the same way the Jewish people could. As far as the Jewish people were concerned, they were the only ones that could know God until Jesus came. Sort of like, it's a mind-blowing concept that Russell Wilson is going to play for the Broncos next year instead of the Seahawks. <laughs> Just hurt some of your feelings. <laughs> now, the gospel being for everyone is a much bigger deal because it's got eternal consequences, but... Nevertheless, it's something that these Jewish people, they never expected it to happen. But the gospel is for everyone. From what we consider the worst sinners uh, to the best saints. Paul is saying that all of us, we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. Dead in our transgressions, our sins. Your new King James, if you have it, it says trespasses. So what's the point of saying both transgression and and sin. The reason is because transgressions, trespasses, disobedience is what New Living Translation says. They're the result of the sinful nature of our heart. We can get to a place, right, where we're tempted to take something that isn't ours because our sinful desire is to try and get something for nothing. We can tell a white lie or a half-truth because our sinful nature would rather not face the consequences of the truth. The wrong actions themselves, the transgressions, the trespasses, they're a result of the sin inside of our hearts. 
It's very important to note, too, that it says very clearly what sin and transgressions cause. It says that because of those things, we were dead. Now, I think that distinction is as important in 2022 as it's ever been. I know you know, like I know, that uh, we live in a world that wants to say, if you're a good person, then everything's just fine. If you just live a good life, if you're nice to everyone around you, then everything's fine. That's all you got to do. That if we just believe in ourselves, that's all we really need in this life. Being a good person, believing in yourself, those are good things. It's also true that a spiritually dead person, someone without Christ, they can do remarkable things on this earth. It's been a question that I've always wondered, and I think it's because every one of us, even if we don't know Christ, we're still made in the image of God, and he still made us with unique gifts and talents. So the people you see that are doing incredible things that don't know the Lord, they're still created in his image. But here's the problem. Have you ever seen uh, the movie The Princess Bride? Anybody seen The Princess Bride? And you know, the Christian college I went to, that was like one of two movies that we were allowed to watch that everyone actually liked. There's this character, character in it, Miracle Max, and uh, when the main character comes to him and he's dead, he doesn't describe him as all the way dead. you guys remember what he describes him as? Mostly dead. <laughs> he says he's not all the way dead. He's, he's mostly dead. And that's the problem is a lot of times uh, in our current culture, we don't understand that without Christ, we are completely dead. We're not mostly dead. We are all the way dead. We've convinced ourselves that if we're a good person, then that means that we're alive. Full disclosure, I totally stole that illustration from a commentary that I was reading this week, but I thought it was too good to pass up. The thing is, because we are dead in sin, not just mostly dead, we can't do anything spiritually without Christ. We could go record a good song, we can make a good movie, write a good book. Those are all fine and good things, but we can't do anything spiritually without Christ. We needed the miracle that we're going to celebrate at Easter here in several weeks. Jesus coming to earth, living a life with no sin, taking our sins upon himself and rising again. That's the thing we need to be spiritually alive. Now, there's no celebration quite like the one where someone was thought to be dead. It turns out they're alive, right? You ever drive up on a bad car accident, right, and you think, oh, man, surely somebody died. And they live. There's no celebration quite like that. And if God has done this already inside of us, which for many of us he has, then we should celebrate that fact every day. We are made alive, delivered from our sin. That's part of what we do each Sunday and Wednesday at church. We celebrate the glorious grace of Christ. So in verse 1, it says we were dead in our transgressions. And in verses 2 and 3, it describes in detail what it's like when we're in that state. It's a little scary in here. It says basically what our condition is without Christ in our hearts. Now, Paul, the author of Ephesians, he points out a few things that were causing that death. Okay, well, I think we've got them on the screen for you as we go through. When we are dead in sin, we follow the ways of the world. And what Paul is saying here is that when we are dead in sin, I want you to catch this, we identify with the world more than we identify with God. It's a way we can tell if we are dead in sin. Do we identify with the world more than we identify with God? Now we know from other places in the word of God that ultimately God's the only one who judges the condition of someone's heart. So the purpose of saying that is not so you'll sit there and be like, oh yeah, I know someone. They definitely are identifying with the world, right? 
We're not saying this morning that it's our job to judge the actions of others because the Bible is very clear. James 4.12 tells us there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. Surely not me, but you. Who are you to judge your neighbor? What we are to do, however, is look at the condition of our own lives and our own hearts. And we have to answer the question, are we more like the world or are we more like Christ? Every single day when we walk out our front door, we wake up, we eat our blueberry Cheerios, if that's what you like, that's what my son John likes. You walk out the door, are we more like the world or are we more like Christ? That's the question we have to answer. To put it even more directly, we can ask the question, are we controlled by the things of this world or controlled by the things of God? It's not an easy question to ask ourselves sometimes. Because I truly believe that we are living in a time and place where it's extremely difficult to be a Christian. It's extremely difficult in the United States sometimes to be a Christian. The reason is because in our time and our culture, there's this very concerted effort to blur the lines between right and wrong. There's a whole bunch of gray area where it didn't used to be gray. Now, culture does change, right? And along with it, our perception of right and wrong changes. Is anybody in here that's been going to church for like 50 or 60 years? Probably a few people, some of you. You probably remember that it was somewhat forbidden if you were a Christian to go to a movie theater like 50 years ago. You were not allowed to do that. <laughs> that was a sinful thing. They couldn't really describe it to you very well, but it was. You were not allowed to have a deck of cards, right? <laughs> yeah, there's some people are laughing because they remember this, yeah. No decks of cards. Bowling alleys, big no-no. Our culture does change, and along with it, our perception of right and wrong changes. I do understand a lot of the reasons behind those things, actually. But That discussion can spire a lot of control quickly. We're not necessarily talking about ticky-tacky things. Because I believe the Bible is pretty clear about what following the world looks like if we're willing to look close enough. There's things in here that um, if we apply them to our life, uh, they're like a magnifying glass, and they'll show us what we need to see. We're not going to spend all morning talking about that specific thing, because I don't believe that's what we're after today. There's, there'll be other days for that. But I'd love to just compare and contrast a couple scriptures with you really quickly this morning. Because I realize, as a parent, as a pastor, whatever, uh, how difficult it can be in our world to define right and wrong. But it defines in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 2 through 5. It says this. It says this about the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So we can apply that to any time or any place. It's a pretty good list of, of what it looks like maybe to be living for the world. And here's a pretty good list of what it looks like to be following the ways of the world. And we can compare that pretty quickly with a scripture that I know many of us know really well. It's one of my favorites. This is a fantastic description uh, of what it looks like uh, when we are not following the world. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, many of you don't even need to look it up. It's right there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So whether you're living in 1950 when you're not allowed to go to bowling alleys or 2022 when bowling alleys are just fine if you're a Christian, there's some pretty good lists that tell you, are you serving the world, are you controlled by the world, or are you not? You see, when we're dead in sin, we're followers of the world. There's something else that happens when we're dead in sin, and when we are dead in sin, we are followers of Satan. That's what this language that Paul uses next is talking about. You might be thinking, that sounds a little extreme. It does sound a little extreme, but it's in the Bible. That's how serious Paul is about just how dead we were in sin without Christ. He's telling us that the ways of the world we just talked about, they're established by, and it's in, in Ephesians here, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the heart of those who are disobedient. If you haven't read through this, walked through it before, quite simply, uh, what it's saying is that Satan himself is the one pulling the strings when it comes to the ways of this world. That language, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's similar to how Satan is described throughout the New Testament. In the Gospels, Satan is called the ruler of demons, uh, and even the ruler of this world in the Gospel of John. Paul calls him the God of this age in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And what he's getting at here, what Paul's getting at is that he's saying Satan is allowed to work in the spiritual spaces between heaven and earth. He gets to do that for now. God is allowing him to do that for now. And that spirit who is now at work in the disobedient, that describes what Satan is attempting to do. He's attempting to work in the disobedient. Paul isn't saying that every unbeliever is possessed by Satan. Again, that's a conversation uh, maybe for another day. But when we are dead in sin, without Christ, we're living in the world of darkness that Satan maintains between, in that space, between heaven and earth. In a sense, Satan puts out something tempting, and uh, we, if we don't know Christ, we latch onto it. The enemy works on what Ephesians calls their, our, our disobedient heart. So when we're dead in sin, it sounds kind of harsh, but we are quite literally following the ways of Satan. You didn't think you were going to get that on Time Change Sunday, did you? Hope you got good donuts and coffee today. Finally, we can see in verse 3 that when we're dead in sin, we are slave to our sinful desires. Slave to our sinful desires. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We talked a few minutes ago about following the ways of the world, but Paul gets even more specific here. And there's something that's really key here at the beginning of verse 3. It says, all of us lived among them at one time. All of us lived among them at one time. To me, there's a bit of an undercurrent here of a thing that uh, I've always told our daughter Christina when she came to live with us. Uh, and that's the, the expression, but for the grace of God, go I. You guys heard that one before? Some of you have been around along and heard that. But for the grace of God, go I. Man, if not for the love and grace of Jesus, every one of us are slaves to our sinful desires. It does not matter how good of a person uh, you may think you are. If not for the love and grace of Jesus, we are all slaves to our sinful desires. We can't defeat those sinful desires on our own, no matter how good we think we are. Some of those sinful desires are contained in that scripture 
uh, from 2 Timothy that we read a few minutes ago. There's also actually another pretty detailed list right before the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Do you like to read those later? Paul tells us in Romans, though, that the results of following those sinful desires, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 8, it says simply, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. I told you before, I love how black and white the Bible is. And that's pretty black and white. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, he describes the condition of our heart, I think, very beautifully and poetically. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Seems like Paul is painting a pretty bleak picture here. And it's easy to read this and think Paul is getting carried away, right? After all, there's lots of good people in the world. Yes, there are lots of good people in the world. I know a ton of people who don't know the Lord, who I pray will one day, and they are good people. Because we're all created in the image of God, like we touched on a little while ago, there's traces of heaven all over the place. But in the end, our condition when we were dead in sin is explained by those three things that Paul gives us here. It's explained by our fallen world. It's explained by Satan himself being the ruler of the air. And it's explained by the desires of our flesh. Now, before we move on to the good and more fun part to talk about, there's one more section of verse 3 we've got to tackle. The second half of verse 3. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Quite simply, when we were dead in sin, we were in the path of God's punishment. The Bible is clear that our sin separates us from God. Sin is what separates us from God. But you see, God is just I'm so glad that he's also infinitely kind. God is just, but he's also infinitely kind. We're in a long period of time right now, thousands of years, where we have the chance to accept the grace of Jesus that we're about to talk about. We talk, you hear, us, hear people talk about the last days a lot, and we could be living in the last days. Jesus could come back tomorrow. No one knows the day or the hour. But I'll tell you that the disciples, when this was written, they thought they were living in the last days. Every generation has thought they were living in the last days. And one of these times, it is going to be true. But right now, we are in a long period of time where we have the chance to accept the grace of Jesus. Eventually, every one of us is going to face God. But Jesus has taken that wrath upon himself in order that we might live. In order that I might live. In order that you might live. Because the good news this morning is contained in these next few verses. You see... Yes, we were dead, but now we are alive. Amen. We are alive. Let's read these beautiful verses together. We read the tough ones. Read. Let's read the good ones again. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 7. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see, we were without hope, and we were dead in our sins, not mostly dead, completely all the way dead, but God. But God saw fit to rescue us. Yes, friends, as those 
through those first three verses that we just read so plainly tell us we were dead in our trespasses. But Ephesians 2.4 2, contains the statement that sets us free. But because of his great love for us. You see, friends, because of his great love for us, and I want you to know this if you're here and you're struggling today, because of his great love for us, we are in bondage to sin no longer. If you're struggling today because of his great love for you, you don't have to. Because of his great love for us, we're no longer subject to the whims of the prince of the air that we talked about in those first three verses. Yeah, he's able to try and do some stuff on this earth, but we're not subject to him because of God's great love for us. When we are alive in Christ, we're no longer subject to him. You see, it says in, here in verse 4 that God is rich in mercy. This brings to mind for me what might be my favorite verse in the entire Bible. If you've known me very long, uh, you hear me quote this one about once a week, Psalm 103.8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. It keeps going. I don't have it on the screen there. It does not treat us as our sins deserve. He throws our sins as far away as the east is from the west. What a beautiful description of how God is rich in mercy. When someone's rich, right, they have more than they need, and God has much more mercy than we could ever use. Micah 7, 18, the Old Testament describes it very beautifully as well. Who is God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. Because of his great mercy and kindness, friends, we can rejoice in the wonderful truth of Ephesians 2.5. And that truth is that, yes, we were dead in our sin, but the truth is that God has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. When we walk out of this place, friends, if we know Jesus, we can be alive in Christ. Now, Paul's about to mention grace specifically, and we'll talk more about that concept next week. But grace, God forgiving us when we don't deserve it, it's mentioned 12 times just in the book of Ephesians. It's something that Paul's pretty hung up on. And at the end of verse 4, it says very simply, it is by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. We mention it quite a bit here at our church, God's kindness. God's grace is a result of that kindness. We talked at length a couple weeks ago about how God's kindness, it leads us to repentance. Because God is so infinitely kind, he gives us chance after chance to repent. And God's glorious grace is proof of that kindness. Because of God's kindness and grace, we are indeed made alive. One of the most well-known stories in the Gospels of Jesus' time on earth is when he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. Does anyone remember what Jesus says to Lazarus when it's time for him to come out? Any old-time uh, church people remember from the things? What does he say? Lazarus, come forth. And when we sense God moving in our hearts, like some of you did while we were worshiping this morning, and we accept that great kindness and mercy that he offers... Jesus says the same thing to us. So thankful that I was six years old, glad tidings, assemblies of God, Omaha, Nebraska. He said, John, come forth. Every single one of us, every single one of you, that's what Jesus is saying to you if you're dead in your sin. Come forth. You no longer have to live in that grave. It's so important for us 
to remember something, and that's that being a Christian is not about becoming a nicer person. Now, that does happen when Jesus begins to change you from the inside out, and he raises your heart from the dead. You do begin to become a nicer person. You should be. Even if you were super nice before, you'll become a nicer person, I would say. It's not even about starting to come to church, although, again, that often does happen. When you accept the Lord and God takes away your sin, you just want to be around church and around the things that God is doing. But what it's about, the basis of it, it's about our heart literally being made new. It was dead. Now it comes to life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I don't think I have it on the screen up there, but it tells us the old has gone and the new has come. We are in him a new creation. We were dead, but now we are alive. And remember what chapter one told us, right? We've all been chosen by God. And because we've all been chosen by God, that means no one is beyond the regenerating power of Jesus. No one can fall beyond the reach of God's grace. doesn't matter in this place what you have done, how far you think you've fallen. You can't fall beyond the reach of God's grace. You can't go so far that he can't find you. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty thankful for that. I'd like to prepare to close this morning by pointing out something that I read this week that kind of brings this all together for me. Something that I think we as Christians know, but Paul, he really points it out well. In this scripture, and that is that when we accept Jesus, all of our life begins to happen alongside him. When we accept Christ, Jesus starts to do life with us. We're not on our own any longer. I want us to see three instances uh, in these verses as we get ready to close and sing in a little bit. Remember, all of this that we're talking about here is because of the riches of God's mercy. But you can see that it says in Ephesians in verse 4, we were made alive with Christ. Remember that, with Christ. Verse 6, it says we are raised up with Christ. Our hearts begin to beat again alongside Jesus and we walk out of that grave with Jesus. But verse 7 takes it one step farther even. It even says in verse 7 that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We talked last week at length actually about what it means that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And it doesn't automatically make us some type of divine being. There's religions that will tell you that. But it does give us the power to overcome the things of this world. If you know Jesus, friends, if he's made you alive, you have power over the prince of the air. It gives us power to overcome the things of this world. It gives us power to overcome addiction. It gives us as Christians power to overcome pain. It gives us as Christians power to overcome depression. Now that those things are real and they don't mean something, we don't have to work on them. It gives us power to overcome them. It gives us power to overcome tragedy in our lives, the, the loss of loved ones. The world can be a tough and awful place. I don't have to tell you that. But because we are made alive with Christ, we're raised up with Christ, and we're seated with Christ, we overcome by the power of his mighty name. That's what you need to know, friends. In verse 7, our final verse this morning, it tells us the reason. So the world, the coming age, 
can see the incomparable grace and kindness of Jesus. So me and you, you and I, can be the demonstration of his love on earth. All of this, God's grace is basically so God can say, look what I can do with this guy who was a mess. He was dead in his sin, but he's alive because of the riches of God's kindness. Friends, that's how we're going to end this morning. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes across this place. We're going to prepare to sing. And we're going to celebrate uh, what I know God has done in, in many of you over the years, maybe even today. But if you're here this morning, every head bowed and every eye closed, we're doing this. So it's just a moment between us and God. I'm going to give you 30 seconds or so. Just let the Lord speak. And, uh, and we're going to give uh, the Lord a chance to move. The reason we did that is because I want, uh, wanted to give the Lord a chance to speak to our hearts, just him and us. Uh, this morning, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed because I'm going to ask you today, maybe you walked into this place and you have known God before, but if you're honest, you're far from him. You'd say, if you were honest, you'd say, yeah, today I'm dead in my sin. Maybe you walked into this place and you had no idea what you were in for. And you felt something during worship and you didn't know what it was and you felt something as we're talking about the word of God and you don't know what it is. Well, I can tell you it's the power of Jesus. The riches of God's kindness. Um, so we don't want to go too far. We don't want to go too many weeks without giving someone a chance. I'm going to give you a chance to, to say, yeah, I was dead in my sin. I need God to make me alive today. I'm not even going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me, but I am, when I count to three, just ask you to raise your hand so I can pray over you and we can agree with you. So if you're here today, if you're honest, you'd say, yeah, today I'm dead in my sin, and I need God to make me new again. When I count to three, would you raise your hand so we can pray? Lord Jesus, one, two, three. Awesome, thank you, I see you. Those of you that, that, know, that know God, would you just stretch your hearts and your hands forward as we pray? Lord Jesus, I know you see those who raise their hands. Lord, people who, uh, maybe they've known you before, but if they're honest, they would say they're far from you. Uh, Lord, we just come against the schemes of the enemy, the prince of the air, and we ask that you would move in your power and your glory today. Lord Jesus, for those that uh, maybe they've known you for a long time, but they need to make a fresh start today, I pray that this morning the old would go and the new would come. You'd make people a new creation in the mighty name of Jesus today. Lord, you saw those who raised their hands, and uh, your word says in John that if they open their heart to you, that you'll come in. You're standing at the door and knocking. Even if there's those here who did not raise their hand, but they should have, Lord Jesus, would you let them open their hearts to you today? By your grace, would you save us? Lord Jesus, for those, um, just once more, who they've known you for a long time, but they've wandered farther than they wish they would have, I pray you'd bring them back to you today. Lord Jesus, they were dead, but they are no longer dead. They were alive in Christ today because of your great and endless mercy, your compassion. That's as far as the east is from the west. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. Lord, those that stretch their hearts towards you today, they know who you are. And you know who they are, and I pray you um, would speak to them right this moment.
Lord, I pray that as we get ready to sing, we are going to shout our praises to you because you are so good, because uh, your kindness is so great. We're going to end on a high note today, Jesus, because we celebrate your grace and your mercy. We praise you, Lord, because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in your image. Uh, Lord Jesus, we pray uh, that as we celebrate what you've done, uh, that you would break chains, break bondage in our hearts uh, this morning. We pray these things in your name. Lord Jesus, amen, amen. Friends, would you stand up? We're going to sing this morning before we end. Just together, uh, we praise you. That first song that we sang, I encourage you to celebrate what God has done uh, in your heart as we sing this morning. Let's go ahead and sing, guys.